Taiwan reported zero local infections and nine imported cases on Monday. All nine are considered breakthrough infections. We turn to the CECC for details. All nine cases were fully vaccinated, so all of them are breakthrough infections. The vaccination history is as follows, in order, two doses of Pfizer, two doses of AstraZeneca, that's for the first and second arrival. As for arrivals three to seven, all five of them had received two doses of Sinovac. The last two arrivals received one dose of Johnson & Johnson and two doses of AstraZeneca, respectively. The case count is a bit higher today. Six of the cases came from Indonesia. Five of them are international students. One is a fisherman. Also on Monday, the CCC said it will enforce strict vaccination checks on expats that return for the Lunar New Year holiday. It's working on software that lets travelers upload their vaccination certificates for online review. Travelers who present forged documents could face stiff fines as high as 150,000 NT. Taipei has opened 10 hospital clinics for patients with long-term COVID symptoms, otherwise known as long COVID. People who have it report symptoms like depression and shortness of breath long after the initial illness. Taipei's long COVID clinics will take a holistic approach to patient care, providing both physical and psychological support as needed. Since the start of the pandemic, Taiwan has reported more than 16,000 COVID cases. About 10% of patients are known to have experienced long COVID, with symptoms such as fatigue, anxiety and depression persisting even three months after recovery. For instance, one case quit her job after being diagnosed with COVID. After recovery, she was unable to regain employment and experienced intense stress. To help COVID patients like her, Taipei has opened specialized clinics at five branches of its hospital network, as well as at National Taiwan University Hospital, Tri-Service General Hospital, Taipei Veterans General Hospital, Mackay Memorial Hospital, and Taipei Municipal Wanfeng Hospital. 36% of these patients experienced distress significant enough to meet the threshold for post-traumatic stress disorder. There are more women than men. Overall, about 30% of patients experience anxiety and depression, among other symptoms. The first four weeks after COVID infection are considered the acute phase. After this period, the body starts to recover from the disease. But COVID can cause pathological changes to the body and give rise to severe long-term effects. They include prolonged coughing, fatigue, shortness of breath and depression. Taipei's long COVID clinics will provide care by specialists in infectious diseases, chest medicine and psychiatry. Chest doctors will screen the patients first, assessing their condition and gauging parameters. Then the patients will be referred to the specialists they need. We've taken in about 400-500 COVID patients. About 200 of them came back after recovery, and nearly 100 of them had to be referred to specialists. NTU Hospital has produced an instructional video showing simple rehabilitation exercises that COVID patients can do at home after recovery. Health experts are taking action to help patients on the long journey to a full recovery. The second phase of government-funded seasonal flu vaccines kicked off on Monday. In this phase, adults aged 50 to 64 without pre-existing health conditions are eligible for a shot. A health expert is urging people to accept every vaccine against respiratory diseases that they qualify for.
It's a must that we get our shots for respiratory diseases before year's end. That includes vaccines for the seasonal flu and the pneumococcal vaccine. If the last time you received a whooping cough vaccine was 10 years ago or more, you should consider getting that shot as well. Consider getting a shot this winter for every disease that involves bacteria or viruses in the respiratory tract. This winter, if you have a 5-year-old at home, the only way to provide COVID protection is to protect everybody in your child's vicinity. Taiwan purchased 6.3 million seasonal flu vaccine doses this year. About 40% has already been administered. Eligible people who did not get vaccinated in the first rollout are still eligible in the second. The CCC warns that an interval of at least seven days should be left between a flu shot and COVID shot. That way, if the recipient develops an adverse reaction, it will be easier to determine which vaccine caused it. National Tengong University has released a large-scale study on Taiwan's dietary habits. It found that Taiwan is overly exposed to three known cardiogenous found commonly in food. These three toxins are prevalent in chips, cookies, and other foods made with palm oil, which could even include baby formula. Palm oil is commonly found in snacks like potato chips and cookies. During the high-temperature refining process for vegetable oils, carcinogens like glycidyl esters can form. If palm oil is added, the food will have a greater concentration of glycidol and 3-MCPD. In recent years, there's been strong attention on three carcinogens found in food, glycidyl esters, 2-MCPD, and 3-MCPD. National Chenggong University has found that the average person in Taiwan consumes more of these three toxins than permitted by EU standards. The biggest contributor to toxin intake is cooking oil, followed by confectionery and composite products in that order. Among all the cooking oils, palm oil contains the most carcinogens. The central government actually has no regulations on the chemical compounds in palm oil. When it comes to palm oil and processed foods that contain it, we should consume in moderation. Because of its low price, palm oil is widely used in snacks. It can even be found in commercial milk powders. According to National Chenggong University, young children in Taiwan aged 0 to 3 have higher levels of the three toxins than any other age group. For parents, it's a worrying find. How much of it will affect his health? Will the effects last a lifetime? How long will they last? This is really concerning to me. Actually, you have to look at the duration of the consumption pattern. Milk powder is only consumed for a short period of time. Overall, we did see a higher risk of cancer. That has to do with national eating habits. The research shines a spotlight on hazards in food. National Chenggong University hopes its findings will remind shoppers to choose wisely, going for a balanced diet that lowers the risks of cancer and heart disease. A Taiwanese tech company has developed a pioneering method to recycle used diapers. Dealing with used diapers is a big headache for authorities and a global environmental crisis. This new method uses nanotechnology to break diapers down into reusable materials. The company produces lots of practical items from the waste they collect. Experts hope that with some pressure, legal changes could mean that more diapers will be recycled in the future. Hats, table napkins, garbage cans, cat litter trays, and even floor tiles. All these objects are made from recycled paper diapers. We treat it in the water using nanotechnology. The nanobubble water washes these used diapers clean. 
paper diapers are a daily necessity for many families, but around the world, heavy use of disposable diapers is an environmental problem. They're full of liquid and don't decompose easily, cause problems for traditional incinerators, and quickly fill up landfill sites. Worldwide, researchers are developing ways to recycle diapers, and now Taiwan has found a way. No incinerators want to accept diapers, but they keep on being produced and used endlessly. What should we do? We have to recycle them effectively. The materials these diapers are made from include highly absorbent resin, also known as synthetic resin or plastic. That's the biggest environmental pollutant. But this company is reducing diapers to their original materials and recycling them into household furniture, paper products and industrial materials. We'd like to set a technical standard in the future so that diapers have to be made from a single material. That would effectively increase the proportion we can recycle. The breakthrough is sure to attract attention from waste management experts around the world. And if regulatory changes come through, perhaps the days of diapers piling up on mountainsides are numbered. DPP nominee Lin Jingyi is officially running for lawmaker. On Monday, she became the first to register for the by-election in Taizong's second constituency. Lin, who is a physician by training, showed up at the election commission wearing a lab coat. She pledged to bring change to her constituency, specifically to end the control of one prominent family on local politics. Lin Jingyi headed to the Taichung City Election Commission to register as a candidate for the by-election in the city's second constituency. She was flanked by her campaign manager Lin Jialong and ousted lawmaker Chen Wei. It was a formidable show of unity between the DPP and the Taiwan State Building Party as she launched a campaign to take down local factions. During my tenure as transport minister, I had an even clearer picture of Chen Wei's contributions to local infrastructure projects. In just two years, he achieved more than his opponent did in 20 years, building more and better transport infrastructure. Let us support Jingyi from across party lines. Let us speak out for justice. The electorate here, during this time, I have seen anticipation in their eyes. What everyone wants is for their hometown to get better and for local politics to be freer. The local political dynasty that's so entrenched here, there's a chance now to loosen its grip. There's an opportunity for change. Today, I came here to register as early as I could because I know the people here have been waiting for this for a very long time. Since we intend to achieve this for them, we want to do so in the shortest amount of time. We want to do our utmost to fulfill our responsibilities. After registering in the morning, Lin headed to Dadu district in the afternoon, where she stumped for votes on the street. Between bowing and waving, Lin took photos with her supporters. We had six DPP councillors in the constituency, and they all have full campaign schedules. If I have time, I will rally with them. Lin has kicked off her electoral campaign. Her KMT opponent, Yin Kuan Hun, did not have a public appearance on the day. Yin is expected to register for the by-election on November 18th. Let's head now to Tainan to find out how the local science park has transformed an ancient part of the city. Sanhua District was traditionally an agricultural area with strong historical roots going back centuries. In recent years, 
Tainan Science Park has attracted an influx of high-tech experts, changing the demographics of the area, and that's had a big impact on Sanhua Dis Business District. This Thai restaurant has a Thai master chef at its helm. They mix classic Taiwanese flavors into the menu. The house sauce is made with homegrown vanilla. The flavor tends to be a little gentler. We grow all the vanilla things ourselves. Nearby is this handmade vanilla soap shop. The husband and wife proprietors are both from Taipei. They moved to Shanghua to be closer to family members who had relocated here. They then opened this passion project store, the first of its kind in Shanghua. Since the Southern Taiwan Science Park was developed, actually lots of people are coming here looking for handmade soap. Apart from the soap made with local sesame, the shop offers education and events, promoting the health benefits of handmade cosmetics. It seems metropolitan products can find their place even in areas known for more traditional agricultural industries. Their proximity to the high-tech science park helps, of course. Another store nearby is this shoe shop, which is almost 60 years old. It recently had a windfall thanks to the quintuple stimulus vouchers. We had a voucher promotion to align with the government's voucher program. We had our own bonus program. The science park has brought many tech-based families into the area around Shanghua, a district once founded on agriculture and the birthplace of poets and politicians. Because of the science park, we are based on internal consumption in Shanghua Business District. We focus on domestic demand. Observers suggest that the district's economy will continue to prosper with the ballast of the science park behind it. More urbanized commercial models could easily crop up here, so long as the tech bubble remains. And now, for a peek into Taiwan's bilingual education, Yunlin Elementary School in Douliu City integrates English lessons into the visual arts curriculum of its students. Working together, art teachers and English teachers design unique lessons that are taught using English to bring the language to life for the children. It's winter. Girl is going to the park with Agnes, Margo, and Mark. Narrating in English, these fourth graders from Inling Elementary School put on a puppet show. They adapted the script themselves, using simple English vocabulary to breathe fresh life into a Taiwanese tradition. In the beginning, the children didn't know much about Taiwanese puppetry. Because the Inling International Puppet Theatre Festival happens every October, we started introducing it in class. And then, in English class, we taught them how to write scripts. Before, I didn't know what Taiwanese puppetry was. I think that when it comes to Chinese, only Taiwanese people understand it. Foreigners may not understand it. So English makes it possible for the whole world to know about Taiwanese culture. Karen and teacher. Since 2018, Yunling Elementary School in Dolio City has integrated the arts and humanities into its bilingual education, supported by subsidies from the K-12 Education Administration. Students here learn how to paint their self-portrait and to introduce their work of art in English. Go. This is my self-portrait. I have an oval, oval face. face. I'm cool. Once I was having a conversation with a child, and I said in Mandarin, wait for me for another five minutes. 
and the child said in English, five minutes. I think that this is a case in point of English in everyday life. In terms of enhancing overall international competitiveness, that's something we need to strengthen. Compared to traditional teaching methods, immersion language education can more effectively help children develop an authentic grasp of English. Under this method, English education goes beyond the four walls of a classroom. It can be cleverly integrated into lessons on science and the arts to make English fun and engaging. Well, we just survived Halloween. Yes, all in one piece. Did you see a ghost? No, I don't think so. But in Yilan, lots of people got a fright they didn't expect. In Wujie Township, a row of apparitions were spotted by the roadside. Locals and visitors alike were a bit unnerved. But as we'll see, there was nothing spooky afoot. Indeed, quite the opposite. On a dark and stormy night, you're driving down a country road with nothing but a few street lamps for company. Suddenly, by the side of the road, you spot a ghostly figure in white. On second glance, it seems to be floating in mid-air. This was the fright that met Elan residents recently. Hanging like that, it was really frightening. If people go past it at night, they really get scared. These figures stand beside Fuhe First Road in Uje Township. Some passers-by spotted a white shape swaying in the breeze at night and wondered with a start if they'd seen a ghost. Photos posted online sparked heated debate. Many commenters pronounced the figures terrifying. The lack of head or feet is especially unnerving. What could they be? It stops the bananas from going black. Now it's winter and you have to wrap them up to keep warm. The ghosts are cozy winter warmers for bananas. Farmers need ways to keep bananas safe from winter frost, which can turn their skin from yellow to black. The banana farmer here made a special trip to the south of Taiwan just to buy these banana coats. But the nylon ghosts have been spotted elsewhere too. A row of white specters previously lined up near Ilan's Yunshan Park. They were tents used for park construction work, but arranged by the road could be a gathering of ghouls. If you had a fright this past Halloween, maybe check out what local works are going on, or ask if there's a banana farm nearby. It just might help you breathe a sigh of relief. The grouper fish is a star of traditional Taiwanese cuisine, its delicate flavors delighting gourmands for centuries. But farming grouper fish is labor-intensive. With a few young people joining the fish farm business, the industry seems to be in terminal decline. Now, a tech company has developed a smart system that helps take the sweat out of raising goopers. The system can automatically work out what the little fish fry need to stay alive. Experts hope the innovation will help Taiwan's fish farms stay afloat. Steamed grouper is renowned for its satisfying texture and delicate taste, but this dish doesn't come without a price. Raising grouper fish from fry is taxing work. There are loads of different tasks involved, and you have to be watching the cultivation tanks 24-7. Traditionally, raising grouper fish requires staff to constantly adjust the fish feed to create a perfect diet that evolves as the fish go through different developmental stages. Now, this smart fish farming system can cut at least 60% of the labor required. From algae to brine shrimp, rotifers and copepods, it can automatically analyze their size and then feed it to fish of an appropriate size. The most pioneering aspect of the system is that it's fully automated. Fry are raised from a little black squiggle to a fish an inch or too long. The survival rate of the fry is a solid 3 to 5 percent. That's 10 times better than the survival rate with traditional farming methods, which is just 0.3 percent. 
We can operate the system in a more comfortable and more office-like environment. The development team spent over three years on the project. They hope to transfer the technology to fish farming companies, supporting them to stay economically viable and reversing the decline of the industry. The system has gleaned a future tech award from the Ministry of Science and Technology. The lush community of Guanziling in Tainan is hoping for a thriving fall season, with stimulus vouchers business promising a tourist boom. Guanziling is known as the home of mud springs in Taiwan. Its many attractions include spas and all kinds of mud-related cultural gems and heritage. It's a foodie paradise too. Let's check it out. Soaking in a steaming hot spring is a bomb for body and mind. Here in Guanziling, this spa owner is using mud from the hot springs to dye textiles, and guests can try it out too. She wants visitors to experience a new side of hot springs culture. The hot springs also communicate a certain kind of attitude to life. We can understand the character of our mud springs more deeply and then use it in our daily surroundings. Guanziling is blessed with rich mud springs, perfect for bathing. The mud is also used to make skincare products, which are sought after worldwide. The mud from Guanziling is silty, unlike the clay mud masks you typically find on the market. After you've washed away your cares in the spring, it's time for a good meal. The local roast chicken industry has gone from strength to strength in recent years, becoming as much of a draw as the springs themselves. You always get hungry after going in the hot spring. You might want to take a little walk because there are lots of restaurants around here and everyone has roast chicken. With the launch of the stimulus vouchers here in Guanzaling Business District, our visitor numbers grew by 60 to 70 percent and people are spending quite a lot. Fall is perhaps the most popular season for a trip to the springs, and with stimulus vouchers boosting tourism, Guanziling is hoping 2021 will go out on a high. The whole area is full of local flavor and history. Few spots can rival this relaxation destination.